millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Greetings, Grapple fans, and a ha- ha- happy new year to you all. So welcome to 2018. It's the Pro Wrestling Index back right here on the Anfield Index podcast channel. Uh, of course, I'm here, Andy Wills, and joined as ever by my audio tag team partner, Mo Chatra. Good evening, Mo. How are you? Evening, Andy. Happy New Year to you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really good. Um, feeling refreshed and recharged after a Nice break over festive period and uh, looking forward to what should be a very, very exciting 2018. Yeah, there is an <laughs> awful lot to look forward to. And we've got to say 2018 has already got off to um, quite a bang and a, a kind of a departure, I suppose, from what we normally concentrate on here. We do normally talk mostly about WWE but there was rather a big event on uh, the uh, the turn of the year over in Japan of course Wrestle Kingdom 12 so it was a huge show obviously attracted a lot of interest because Chris Jericho was involved in that so we thought it got to talk about it so in order for us to talk about it more you went about searching out for a very very special guest didn't you oh that I did absolutely and I found one um in um the one and only James Troopany of the uh, Troopany Show. And um, James is with us on the line. So uh, thanks for joining us, James. That's okay. Thank you for inviting me. No more than really, really. <laughs> so, so, <come> on. <laughs> so come on then, James. I'm, as, um, as someone who's barely, barely seen New Japan, before this Wrestle Kingdom event, my, my back catalogue of New Japan consisted of watching... Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura against AJ Styles, which was, well, it blew me away, put it that way. And um, I just happened to watch a couple of other Shinsuke Nakamura matches whilst uh, whilst I was there. Um, so that's pretty much me. That is the level of my ignorance when it comes to uh, New Japan before this Wrestle Kingdom event. So, you know, what what is it about New Japan? What is it that, that attracts such an interest that, that has, that, gain, that garners such, your following uh, and then we see these these top stars get uh, arriving on the scenes at wwe that you know that obviously uh triple h and whatnot are, are watching and this is where they're looking out for the talent 
what is it about New Japan that, that makes it just so unique? I think with New Japan, you've got such a history. I mean, you've got a company that's been around since 1974. You look at the people that have been involved in the management of the company down the years, like Carl Gotch and Antonio Inoki and Billy Robinson and all this great history. But also you have a great booking crew in Jado and Ghetto, more Ghetto these days, but certainly over the last 10 years, Jado and Ghetto have really imprinted their style of booking on the company. And they're telling stories that are really... I hate to use the word more adult themed because they're not really adult in the, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, they're not really adult themed as in WWE in the late 1990s adult themed. They're adult themed in their grown up stories, their sports stories that are being told in a more grown up fashion than perhaps say WWE's more cartoonish kind of uh, storytelling style. So you've got all this athleticism, you've got all these stories which are about honor and brotherhood and these stories about redemption wrapped up in a slickly presented package with some of the best booking I've ever seen in pro wrestling. There was certainly a lot of interest then for this event, obviously with Chris Jericho turning up and the whole thing going on with, with Kenny Omega. I mean, what was what was the feeling then for for having Chris Jericho turn up turn up at the event like they did and and build up to it? Was it was it seen as you know obviously Jericho coming back after after nearly two decades since he was last there? Um, was this seen as as a positive thing that you know he was bringing more interest in, or is there was there perhaps a little bit of a feeling there that um, it was almost injecting? You know, or a concern that was maybe injecting a little bit of that, what you said, you know, the WWE cartoony effect into things. I think it could have been presented very badly, and I think it could have been presented in the wrong way, but they went about it in the right way. Clearly, looking at the build up to this show, Chris Jericho really enjoyed the fact that he could have more leeway. He could swear a bit more. There was blood in the build up to the matches. There was a much more kind of adult theme to this story. It's about the two boys from Winnipeg and bragging rights and can Kenny Omega overcome the legend to become the new rising star of North American wrestling. So there is all those elements going into it that make it different from what you would see in a WWE story. But also there is a kind of um, old school mentality to the way this was booked. And there was an old school mentality to the way it was going to draw money. It was really the icing on the cake. The big story is NATO versus Okada. That's what filled the house. But those extra 10,000 buys on ticket sales in the last two weeks and the big ramp up in uh, New Japan World subscriptions, that was all Jericho and Omega. So there's a balance point between what the traditional New Japan fans want and what is going to break them out to a wider audience. And I think they managed to fill both categories really, really well. So just coming on to the the event itself then, uh, I'm, I mean... Probably best that I'll let you come in on this one more. Um, how things all kick off? It, how how different is it then to a WWE pay per view event in, in terms of you know the atmosphere and and the whole way the, the whole um, way in which it's it's kind of presented sort of from the offset you know because we get the whole the WWE almost taking that UFC thing of you know the pre show and the build up and uh, video packages and whatnot in terms of Japanese. East TV and think is it different to that or is it it's just like old school bang with there it's an event you start and everything happens out there in the arena um well i mean the 
Kind of, yeah, in the sense of there's no weekly TV show anymore. They don't have a weekly TV slot. And when they did have a weekly TV slot, it was like Monday night at 3 a.m. Even, it, But it was getting really good ratings. I don't understand why, but anyway. <laughs> so because they don't have TV anymore, they're doing things through live events and through New Japan World and their YouTube channel. So everything gets set up at press conferences because that's their free media. You know, the news covers that, sports coverage covers that, the papers cover that, the wrestling magazines covers that. So a lot of the storyline stuff will come out in the press conferences and the run to the events, but the majority of the on-screen angle work will come up after matches on the main show. So Omega uh, versus Jericho was set up uh, at the World Tag League final. The second one was um, one of the earlier pay-per-views in the year. It was, it was set up there. And really, Okada versus Naito is a story four years in the making. In fact, you could probably say five or six years in the making. So there's, there's multiple levels of narrative that are building up together to build to this event. So it's, it's not like what you would see with an American company where you've got a pay-per-view and we will get a bunch of storylines to match that pay-per-view. You do have that, but it's a bit more scattergun in where it's going to be presented. And, and just adding to that, I mean, in terms of the show itself, um, the actual presentation of it is, is very um, upmarket, very slick, uh, very state-of-the-art. But different from the WWE, because with the WWE, um, you tend to have matches broken up by uh, backstage segments, video packages, um, the long entrances. Whereas with this show, um, you'd have the match, match would finish. Within moments, the entrances for the next match would occur, and then the next match would be underway. And um, you know, this was a six-hour show, and in terms of dead time, there was actually very little of it. Whereas if you compare it to WrestleMania, which also goes over a similar, similar time frame, in terms of bell-to-bell time, um, WrestleMania would be significantly less. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you look at the two main events, there were 34 minutes each. So, like, you don't get North American pay-per-views with main events that length. Ring of Honor might go there, but I, I doubt WWE would very often, and, and certainly Impact Wrestling would. Yeah, that's it. It's those multi-man kind of gimmick matches like Hell in a Cell that might go of that kind of distance. But certainly singles matches, it's very rare to see um, WWE singles matches go that long. Um, but again, New Japan has got history and indeed Japanese wrestling um, general history of having these longer matches and the fan base is educated to um, that type of match. Whereas in North America, especially over the last uh, 15, 20 years, um, if a match goes beyond half an hour, especially singles match, it's quite rare. But um, this was, I felt, despite being a six-hour show, still a show that was paced very, very well. Um, And, um, I mean, just going back to the kind of um, whole build-up to it, the, the fact it drew... 34,995 paid and actually the, the estimates were something like 43 to 44,000 inside the Tokyo Dome which was very very close to full capacity um, that was just incredible and I say that because you go back 10 years to Wrestle Kingdom 2 say um, the paid audience was probably around 12,000 
Um, in fact, there was a very strong argument at that time that New Japan should finish its annual January 4th Tokyo Dome shows because there was just such a lack of interest. Uh, but they persisted with it. They said, no, we're having hard times, but this is part of our tradition and we'll carry on doing it, even if we lose money on it. And look at them now, um, near sellout, and they're aiming to completely sell out the building in uh, in, in a year's time in uh, for Wrestle Kingdom 13. So, you know, it really shows what a resurgence the company's had, um, that they were really, really struggling um, some 12, 13 years ago. Um, but they invested in talent, uh, sorry, invested in youth, um, brought through the likes of Nakamura, Tanahashi um, and others. And, um, you know, it's paid dividends because these guys turned into superstars, turned into legends and um, helped New Japan become um, the dominant force in Japanese wrestling once again. So turning to the card itself then. Um, just looking at hit at the, the top there, we've got a New Japan Rumble. Um, is this is this like the equivalent of the uh, the Andre the Giant Battle Memorial Royal Battle Royal over the top, <laughs> um, whatever the hell they're calling it? I, I can't. There's so many so many uh, words in the title of that Battle Royal. I can't even remember it. Um, would that be the equivalent of that thing? Yes. <laughs> essentially yeah everyone who's not on the card we've got to get them on there somehow and we'll have a few surprises and it'll be an entertaining hour to keep the show off <laughs> yes <laughs> it took me about 10 minutes to introduce it and the answer is yeah thanks very much <laughs> so yeah i mean masahito kakihara won this match and uh for those that are not aware kakihara is uh talent that used to work in New Japan a number of years ago um, in the new, in the junior heavyweight division at times and um, also previously competed in UWF, UWFI um, in the 90s and um, has that kind of shoot style background. Um, was involved in this match, even though he's been retired for a while, um, because he has um, gone through cancer and has dealt with cancer and... Um, it was um, quite a notable thing for him to be involved in this match. And um, when the entrance music hit, which was the entrance theme or, or the music that was associated with UWF, um, the ringside, uh, sorry, one of the announcers, the, um, um, it was, uh, oh God, who was it now again, James? I can't remember. Off the top of oh, Kazuo Yamazaki. Kazuo really? Yamazaki, that's it. Yamazaki, that's it. Um, yeah. He, he uh, started taking his jacket off and I thought, blimey, is he going to go into that match? No, it wasn't. It was Kakihara <laughs> and uh, that, that was quite a special moment and um, got a really good reaction. And uh, I thought it was quite a fun match, actually. Um, I mean, in a way, I kind of missed um, the, the really old timers like uh, Great Kabuki not putting in his annual appearance and obviously he retired just a few days earlier um, on a Noah show. Uh, but um, you know, certainly uh, there was there were there were some special moments there, like Jushin Liger and the great reaction that he got when he came out of there, and um, some Takamichi of the comedy. Takamichi Noku as well. Yeah, I mean Takamichi Noku looking not a day older than he looked 25 years ago uh, when he used to wrestle for Michinoku Pro as a rookie. Um, you know, he's still going strong, and um, yeah, it was good to. Um, 
see some of those faces and obviously uh cheeseburger there as well james um doing what he does best and uh quite the cult favorite with his little reaction there as well yeah he uh, did a he had a good appearance at new year's dash tagging with uh, rapingi 3k as well and i really only thing i really have to say about the the, the battle royal was chase owens was robbed Rob. <laughs> yes robbed <laughs> shocking behavior um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I do love Chase Owens actually. It was nice to see him to get some offensing because he's normally designated pinfall guy for Bullet Club. So for me, it was yeah. nice to see yeah. him to do some cool stuff, and he did really get over as well in this match. But yeah, generally speaking, a fun match. It was nice to see it more layered with all the Suzuki Gun guys coming out by random draw, and then Liger coming out to come and save, a Tiger Mask coming out to save Liger, so there was lots of little mini storylines that you could see in this match, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. So talk to me about the Young Bucks then, because I know that obviously they've made the name, and, and there's always them rumours that, you know, WWE interested and all the rest of it, but their style doesn't suit, but... but from what I've seen, the, these guys just, they don't need to worry about WWE. Do they? they, you know, they are what they are and, and they have made, they've made a hell of a career for themselves and making plenty of money. And, you know, these guys are world stars. They just, they don't need to worry about WWE, do they? Do you want me to answer that one? No, they don't. <laughs> they're fine. They're cool. They're okay. They're shifting shirts and that's what matters to them. And, they will go when they feel comfortable and when they think they're going to earn more money, but why take a pay cut to do a job you won't enjoy as much? So, you know, it, to me, the, to me, they're the, arguably the best tag team in the world. They are, they are really layering in storylines in new Japan. The matches I've had in Japan in the last 12 months haven't been high spot, high spot, high spot. There's been something really, really cool to watch as far as a story, storytelling experience is concerned. And it really started with their match with uh, Rapingi Vice at last Wrestle Kingdom, and they've continued that through the year. They've not been, they're not as contracted to New Japan this year as they have been in the past. They've chosen just to be Ring of Honor wrestlers with occasional shots for New Japan, but because they want to spend more time with their kids, which I can per- perfectly understand. And it's perhaps something if they went to WWE, they wouldn't get that luxury. So for me, they're top notch, and Rapingi 3K are going to be a fantastic tag team. So it was a really cool match to watch and really great to see those two teams together. Yeah, agreed. Um, I really enjoyed this match. Um, actually, thought it was it exceeded my expectations. I thought it would be really good, but it was actually even better. Um, there was some good, as you say, um, storyline elements to the match um, with both Matt and uh, Yo selling back injuries. And they did a really good job of that. And um, there was one spot in particular where um, they just seem to destroy Yo's back. I don't know how he quite managed to walk after that, um, but uh, it was it was really well worked. And um, obviously, somebody like Jim Cornette would actually hate it because it involved the, the Young Bucks. Um, but it had you know good kind of old school psychology to it with new school moves. And um, yeah, showing Yo um, given their ex- level of experience look extremely promising and got big, big futures ahead of him. But uh, Matt and Nick won um, the titles for the seventh time and um, really are the backbone of the IWGP junior tag team division. So um, another great uh, performance by them and uh, title holders once more. 
Yeah, I think as well, Jim Cornette probably sells just as many T-shirts because of his attitude towards the books as the books do to his attitude towards Jim Cornette. So I think they're probably quite happy doing what they're doing at the moment. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and, and the more they annoy him, the happier I get with him. So uh, <laughs> all, all in the world, so. <laughs> I, I, more, I thought you loved Jim Cornette. Um, well, until he blocked me on Twitter, so um, <laughs> I can't that, think why he do that. <laughs> that's another story for another time. But um, yeah, yeah, he's he's not somebody who uh, was at the top of my uh, Christmas Christmas card list. Let's put it that way. No, I I, I I've suspected that for some time. <laughs> um, so so guys, talk to me about the the gauntlet match. This this six man tag. A championship thing because it was um it, i don't know I, I i wasn't taken by this one i've got to say it was a bit kind of all over the place for me uh this was another one where you're trying to get all, uh, everyone on the show <laughs> i'm not keen on this format either they ran it last year as well and again it's just kind of fun but you've got some pretty hefty talent like tommy hero ishii and zach saber jr and Desperado, no, no, Desperado was in the, the Battle Royal, was another guy who perhaps could have been doing something else. So it, it's difficult. I can see where they're coming from. They want all these people that, that shift merch for them to make an appearance, but they can't do everything, you know, with them. So they end up with matches like this. And the, never, the story of the Never Openweight Tag Team Championships has been quick changes. It very rarely stays on anyone for very long. And if usually, I think, I don't think anyone's got past two defenses. So it's, it's just kind of the story of that. But having said that, those belts made LIJ last year, Sonata and Bushy and uh, Evil. They they really did an awful lot with those championship belts last year, despite the fact that we're dropping them every five minutes. So hopefully it'll do the same for Farley and for Guerrillas of Destiny. Yeah, the biggest disappointment for me, I actually quite enjoyed the match. I didn't think it was... I, I, didn't, I didn't think it was um, uh, one of the better matches. It was actually one of the worst matches of the night. Still not um, a bad match, anywhere close to being a bad match for that matter. Um, but the biggest disappointment for me was the fact that um, Ishii was um, not in a marquee match yet again. Um, you know, he's somebody over the last 12 months, there's an argument that he was possibly the best in the business in ring in 2017. And um, the fact he was lost in this kind of throwaway match was a real waste of um, one heck of a talent. Um, so that was disappointing. Um, but even then, some of the stuff he did in this match was still quite good. Um, and, um, you know, there, there was the kind of, um, I think it was a suplex spot with um, that big lump who um, spoils my G1 every year. Uh, in uh, Bad Luck Fallet. But, um, yeah, not, nonetheless, uh, Ishii still did what he could do, but um, it was an okay match. But uh, overall, um, not quite um, living up to the levels of a lot of the other stuff that we saw on the show. Um, not, also, just a shout-out to Zack Sabre Jr. Um, you know, I, th- I think his uh, kind of heel stick um, actually works quite well in, in New Japan and... Uh, Hopefully he'll kind of ramp it up a bit more in 2018 if given the opportunity. I am I'm slightly concerned that he has um, 
knock somebody off, considering the fact he got to tag with Tai Chi and Ayazuka. But, you know, hopefully that'll work out for him. <laughs> yeah, ho- hopefully it's just um, a little thing and, uh, you know, he'll uh, shake the right person's hand once again or, or will be forgiven. <laughs> uh, it'll, it'll be fine. <laughs> So what what about War Machine in there? There's there's rumours circulating about their future. Um, if and even rumours quite strong at, at times suggesting that they, that's it, deal done. They're coming across the WWE. If that happens, what you know what can what can listeners expect to see from those two guys? A lot of work effort. They they are very very good at what they do. They try harder than most anyone else in the world. They're one of the best heavyweight tag teams I've seen in a long time. They live the gimmick. They're incredibly friendly people, so you know they will they will come over well to fans. It depends on how you want to push them, because obviously they look like monster heels, so you probably want to push them as monster heels in WWE. But they're getting some good real estate if they get War Machine. In my personal opinion, I think they're committed. If they work hard um, and they're an asset to any division they're in. I totally agree. Um, no, they've done some fine, fine work. Um, in not only New Japan, but in um, the independent promotions and uh, Ring of Honor in particular, um, really are a very polished act now. Um, come along fantastically well last three or four years and um, primed and ready for this um, running the WWE. And I just hope they are used in, in the right way. Um, we've seen it on countless occasions that very, very talented acts, talented performers get brought in, especially onto the main roster. They're completely lost in the shuffle um, for inexplicable reasons. And I'm just hoping that um, with, with these two, um, they are used effectively. And if they are, I think they can be a real asset to uh, the WWE and its tag team division. Yeah, uh, Just one then, before we move on, I mean, you mentioned Zack Sabre Jr. Now, I enjoyed him during that, um, that Cruiserweight Classic last year. I was impressed with him. How do you think he'll fare then over in Japan? Do you, you know, long term, do you, do you think that that will be good for him to mould him in, in his future career? Yeah, I mean, he's part of Suzuki Goon, so he's he's the bad guys. He's with the bad guys. He's the baddest of the bad, bad, bad guys. Um, so he matches that to a T. He had a cracking Intercontinental title match earlier in the year with Tanahashi. There is lots of business they can do with him in the heavyweight division. I'm glad he went in as a heavyweight because he's got a different look. It's something different and new for New Japan. And he fits that role he's got to a T. He's essentially Minoru Suzuki, the scariest guy in the world's assassin. So how scary is he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and the other thing is, I mean, Zach's been working in Japan for actually a number of years. Um, he worked in Pro Wrestling Noah for um, quite, um, I think it was about three, four, maybe even five years. Um, and had a very good run there. Um, you know, he speaks very highly of um, Odawa, who took him under his wing whilst he was there and uh, obviously then moved over into New Japan. Um, if it wasn't last year, then certainly 2016. And um, seems just at home. And I think he really does enjoy um, himself and where he is. He's another act who, um, you know, he might may well have been offered a WWE contract after the Cruiserweight Classic um, in 2016. Um, but that probably wouldn't have suited him well, um, given the style he likes to work um, and his look especially, something that Vince probably wouldn't have been too keen on. Um, you know, so, somewhere like a New Japan 
combined with um, appearances for the likes of Progress and others, um, it is just ideal for Zack Sabre Jr. And he really is one of the preeminent workers in the business now. Um, very, very talented and has been for several years. And once again, an asset and a flag bearer for British wrestling scene. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, if he was offered a a, uh, a contract to uh, to be with WWE in that cruiserweight division and he's turned it down, he absolutely did the right thing. Mm. Yeah, can't disagree. <laughs> so moving on to Kota Ibushi and Cody, Cody Rhodes, obviously, but he's not allowed to use the Rhodes bit and uh, that's another thing anyway. Uh, Mo, I know you're not a fan of, of Cody, but... Um, I've got to say, I watched this. I quite enjoyed it. And I, I mean, I'd love to be watching Kota Ibushi on a weekly basis. I think he's just fantastic. Oh, he is. Yeah, he's um, a very special talent, has been for quite a number of years. Um, he's into his 30s now. He's been around forever um, for DDT and other promotions. And um, just uh, a very, very accomplished worker, um, I'm not the biggest Cody Rhodes fan in the world um, it's fair to say um, but that said I thought this was a heck of a match and um, you know I can't say it was a one man show either I thought Cody did play his part um, one of his best um, career matches in fact I'd go so far as to say he uh, really brought it showed good personality um, really seems to be taking this kind of new type of spin on his heel character in, in a direction that he seems to be having a lot of fun with. And, um, you know, I think it's got plenty of potential and uh, obviously with Brandy at ringside, um, you know, she, she actually works very well as part of the, the act and, uh, you know, enhance the match as well, it's fair to say. So, um, you know, he, he's certainly somebody who's slowly growing on me. Um, still not quite there, still has a way to go. Um, but Ibushi is just um, an immense talent and I hope to see him a lot more regularly in New Japan. Um, he is quite a free spirit and uh, you never quite know um, which direction he wants to go in. Um, but everyone wants to see him work with Kenny Omega. Those two have a very story past and um, I'm sure eventually that will happen. It has to. Yeah, it's well on its way to that, I think. I'm, I'm not a fan of Cody Rhodes either until this match where I think he actually found what he's looking for in a heel and his approach to the match was a lot better from like the killer heel point of view that he's supposed to be. But also, I don't think you can undersell Brandy Rhodes' role in this match. She made this match for me. She's outstanding and there's a really good thinking valet manager kind of in the valet manager kind of role. And I think that's probably going to improve as she wrestles more for Women of Honor and, and develops her own pro wrestling career. Um, and um, yeah, I think this match was a solid piece of work, but I'm kind of interested where they go next because the next obvious thing for both of them is Kenny Omega and how they're going to play that out. Yeah, and it's interesting, during the match, we um, clearly heard um, Cody talk to um, Kota saying, um, he doesn't love you like I love you or something along those lines. Um, so clearly a tease for later on down the line, um, so it seems. So uh, clearly yeah. are setting something up there. So um, that, that's just something that, that will, I'm sure, um, go somewhere. 
during the course of the year. Well, this story started at the G1 Climax in the final when Kenny Omega lost, and the first person to come and commiserate with him after the books was Coach Ibushi, and obviously the, they have their former tag team, the Golden Lovers, um, and their off-screen relationship is obviously quite close as well, so we'll see what happens with that story. Absolutely. I've got to say, as someone who's ignorant to New Japan, I would pay money to watch Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega. That that just just the <laughs> thought of that gets me excited. Oh yeah, I mean these two had some great chemistry together um, as a team and occasionally as opponents uh, in DDT, and uh, you know, it's just a matter of time before they two. Um, they, they combine in some fashion, either as opponents or even as a tag team. And um, when they do, um, you know, it'll be really, really fun to watch. So, uh, yeah, they are to the best in the business now. There's no question about that. And um, yeah, yeah, really, yeah. really good to see them both together in New Japan. When Kenny made this save for contribution in New Year's Dash, the roof blew off Corican Hall. I haven't heard a pop like that at K-Hall for years. So something good's going to happen. Oh, definitely. Yeah. definitely. So what what about the IWGP tag titles then? Um, Davy Boy Smith Jr. haven't seen him for a while, and Lance Archer, uh, Lance Archer, uh, even if I can get his name out, um, going down to um, Evil and Sonada. And I, I know uh, I know more was quite excited to see Evil. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm quite a fan of Evil. Um, well, especially his entrance music. I just can't get enough of it. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, Archer and um, David Boy Smith Jr. Uh, Archer, by the way, for, for, for listeners, is um, formerly uh, the artist formerly known as Lance Hoyt, who used to wrestle several years in um, TNA, former tag team partner of Kid Cash. And, um, you know, since those days, he's come on in leaps and bounds as a worker um, alongside David Boy Smith Jr. as the clear, killer elite squad. Um, formed as a tag team in New Japan, went over to Pro Wrestling Nova for um, a couple of years, back um, in New Japan again since last year. Um, they do uh, divide opinion. I mean, there are those that feel that they are um, quite a poor tag team um, and really aren't at the level of some of the other um, doubles acts in, in, in New Japan. But um, I'm actually quite a fan of them. And I thought that this was actually a, another very good match. Yeah. Uh, certainly not a four-star kind of match, but not but far not off, actually. Off, actually. And, um, we, um, we say Sonada and Evil, um, you know, two of the individuals from Los Ignobilables, the, uh, the Japan. Sorry, my pronunciation is actually terrible. Um, but uh, Sonada is a talent that I've been a fan of since his rookie days in all Japan Pro Wrestling, and um, I really hope to see New Japan do something with him because I think um, in terms of personality and charisma, he is somewhat lacking, but um, his work is so smooth, and I think that with the right kind of presentation, they can really do something with him as a singles act, and uh, hopefully this is a sign of things to come. I thought um, even though Archer and Dave Boy Smith Jr., had the mo- the bulk of this match. Um, selling from Evil and Sonata was very good and um, you know made it really um, a strong finish, the fact that they kind of came back at the end and won the IWGP tag team titles. And um, 
certainly set things up in quite an interesting way for uh, the coming weeks and months in terms of that um, championship. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, uh, I love Killer Elite Squad. I'm, I'm one of those guys. I think they're absolutely amazing. I really do enjoy their work. And I've been... I've been a big fan of Sonata since he came back to came sorry came to New Japan Pro Wrestling because the character he had in Impact Wrestling and Wrestle One was so it was so out of place in modern wrestling. It was such a cookie cutter baby face, and then he switched it up to the great Sonata gimmick in uh, James Storm's faction in in Impact Wrestling. He took that to Japan too, and it was just like this isn't good, and it. <laughs> And he came to New Japan, and it was so refreshing to see him see this character, this kind of anti-character, this absolute blank expression, and the way he's ta- where he's taking it. I love the guy; he's absolutely amazing. And I, I really didn't enjoy his work before until he came to New Japan, and this anti-character, like I said, that he has, which is a perfect fit for Lij. So, yeah, I, I love these guys. And Evil, yeah, his work is always good, and I thought this was a really, really good match. I would just enjoy all four guys, so it was nice to see them get to wrestle each other. Uh, and more, what was what were they called again? Evil and Sonada. What was the name of that tag team again? <laughs> right, I'll give it a, a better reference time. <laughs> Los Ingobernables de Japón. <laughs> That's close enough, isn't it, James? Los Marbles. My, my, my friend Alex Hernandez, who writes for Shoulders Up, actually taught me how to do this probably because obviously she's Spanish because she's Mexican, and it's Los Ingobernables de Japón. Hop on. Ah, right. Okay, so... Catchy, that. It's, it's, it's just as well I'm not working on the wrestling channel anymore because I would have been slaughtered for it, so... <laughs> <laughs> now, James, talk me through this one. Um, a hair versus hair match where one of the participants has hardly got any hair. But he is the man with the worst personality in the world. <laughs> so that answers that question. Um, yeah, Minoru Suzuki and... and- Hiroki Goto in a, a hair versus hair Kamikiri death match. This is brilliant. I love this because it's Minoru Suzuki and everything he does touches to gold. He he could do he could go wrestle a cardboard box and I'd be well happy, and I'd still hate him. Um, and Hiroki Goto is is a guy that has always been on the thin end of the wedge for a long while, and it always seems to be his redemption story. This year, his redemption story was losing the Never Open Weight Championship to Suzuki last year. And Suzuki's defended it against other members of Chaos, which is Goto's faction, in the run-up to this year's Wrestle Kingdom. He's beat them all. Goto comes back and says, comes back and says, I want the title again, and I'm willing to put my hair up to get a championship shot because I know you won't give me it because you already beat me twice. And that was Suzuki's ball game. That's where he wanted to do. He he wants a different look for the Never Open Weight Championship. It's been death matches all year for him, either lumberjack matches or chain matches with uh, uh, Yano. Um, so, yeah, it's it was a very different kind of match for New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's usually more associated with Joshi Wrestling and women's wrestling in Japan. There's some, there's some classic hair versus hair matches in women's wrestling. And Minoru Suzuki is a big fan of Joshi Wrestling. He does a lot of intergender tag matches uh, he's good mates with Aja Kong, so he has the heritage to pull this off correctly, and it was the right way to do it in the right kind of setting for me. It was very well done. Yeah, this, this was just um, a heck of a match for me. Um, you know, with Suzuki, he, he's such a anti-modern wrestling type of um, hero, 
Um, he's somebody who's somebody like uh, Jim Cornette would love because um, you know he he's the antithesis of you know what the young bucks represent um, and a real throwback type. And uh, the good thing about him is that um, he can work in an old school type of way, um, but with some uh, new school type psychology. And, uh, you know, this was very much about that type of um, psychology over um, high spots type of uh, presentation. And, you know, this was kind of a theme of this show, in fact, that we had so many good matches on this show, and yet hardly any two matches were the same or identical to one another. Um, and, and this was something that, um, you know, stood out from all the other matches. And, you know, there were a lot of people, in fact, that um, thought this was the best match on the show. Um, it, it wasn't for me. I, I thought there were several that were better. But, um, you know, th- this was really, really good in the way it was crafted and uh, with Suzuki getting his heat in and, um, you know, Goto bleeding from the mouth and, uh, you know, some of those kind of slaps were just brutal um, and uh, really, really stiff and snug at the same time. And, um, you know, it was uh, very, very well worked. And, you know, with Goto coming on strong at the end and winning the match, um, you know, it got a great reaction. And uh, obviously um, Suzuki lost what little hair he had. Uh, but, um, no, it, it was it was strong for Goto. I mean, he's somebody who... Um, say five or six years ago, had uh, more momentum, I felt, than he, he has now. He, he's just another guy, albeit very talented, just another guy. And uh, it's difficult in a way for, you know, um, Gato and Jada to really come up with ideas that can make him feel fresh and relevant. And yet, um, with his title run, they've somehow managed to do that. And, uh, you know, I think they've got some more mileage in, um, this title run. So, um, you know, kudos to them for coming up with you know, some good, good kind of booking for him. And uh, I think, I think we'll see some more good stuff um, from Goto in the, in this title run over the coming months. The, there was the four way for the uh, IWGP junior heavyweight championship next. And I, and I've got to be honest, I've got, by this point, I'm thinking there's a lot of titles here. There's an awful lot of titles, isn't there? Yeah. I think Kenny yeah. Omega, Cut a promo last year saying, "Well, we'll just give a belt to everyone, won't they?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, they took him at his word. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, this four-way, I, I really, really enjoyed this match. Got to say, really enjoyed it. Uh, not seen much of Will Osprey before. Obviously, knew about him, heard about him, and know more spoke highly of him before. So, this was my first chance of really, you know taking notice of him and re- quite impressed, you know, the, the way he moves around that ring. Um, but the the big thing from this match for me was, was Marty Skrull. Uh, this guy, uh, his look, his personality, his charisma, his character, his work, everything. The, this guy has just got money written all over him for me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Well, I mean, as, as a former WrestleTalk employee, and he's a former WrestleTalk employee, I have to defend my boy. <laughs> Marty's fantastic. He's had a really good run in uh, New Japan since he came there, since the Best of Super Juniors last year. Uh, Will has been fantastic too. You know, the, the example. I'll be honest. I was kind of disappointed that this didn't end up being Kishida versus Aroma Takahashi. Myself, that would have been the perfect match for me. Having said that, I'm also not a big fan of multi-man matches. I like a good heads-up singles match, but there was plenty of them on this card for me to enjoy. So it, this goes back to what I was saying about this was a generally really good entertaining wrestling show with a lot of different angles on it. So this isn't necessarily my taste, but it was exceptionally well done for what it was. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't disagree with that point. Um, multi-man matches are not my cup of tea either, but... Um, you know, if you're going to get a multi-man match as good as this, then you know you can certainly um, you know accept it. It was uh, something. It was, it was a type of match that um, you know for some it might have been a bit over the top in terms of the amount of stuff that was crammed into it. Um, you know, it was 21 minutes, but they did so much. Um, you know, for some fans, they might feel that actually there was just too much in it. And it's difficult to sometimes absorb, you know, some of the amazing things that they did in this match because, you know, within 20, 30 seconds, they moved on to the next big spot. Um, but what they did was really well worked. Um, not too, too dissimilar to some of the kind of multi-man matches you see out of Dragon Gate and clearly all four um, big fans of that style and, uh, you know, the kind of match that Seema would have you know, churned out very, very easily five years ago and, and more. And, um, you know, it was just a joy to watch. Um, there were some parts of it that were slightly on the sloppy side, but um, given what they had to do, um, you know, you can certainly forgive them for that. Um, you know, as you say, Skirl is just a supreme talent. Um, as good an all-rounder as there is in the business, and uh, I just love watching him do what he does. And I'm actually quite glad he's not in the WWE, even though um, that might be his ultimate ambition to end up there one day. Um, but I just don't think he'd be able to express himself in the way he does in Japan, in Ring of Honor and other promotions. Um, so I, I think that um, you know he, he's just in his ideal environment in, in the way he works right now. And uh, Osprey is... He's so good that people are actually um, almost bored of how good he is. Um, you know, he's just uh, an immense talent. He's so naturally gifted. And, uh, you know, again, we saw that he can work very athletic style in so much grace in the way he works. And yet, um, you know, when he wants to 
um, you know, give nods to the old school uh, with some of his psychology, then he can do that as well, even though, granted, we didn't see much of it in this match. Um, but four very, very talented guys. And, you know, it would have been the shock of all shocks if this wasn't a great match. Um, this, for me, was the third best match on the show. Uh, I was just so in love with what they were doing. And, uh, you know, I was very happy with the finish. Um, but my ideal finish would have been to see Marty Skull uh, win the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. That would have just been absolutely perfect. And, uh, you know, James, you know, you would have um, probably flown through the ceiling if, if, if you'd seen a finish like that. But um, <laughs> maybe, maybe next time. But, uh, yeah, that, that was just um, a really, really good match. Lots of fun. Well, the Chaos guy won, so I'm always happy when Chaos guys win. So that's, that's <laughs> would it be fair then to say that that Mike Skull will probably benefit from, you know, even if you, as you mentioned, mother, you know, ending up at, at WWE could be his ultimate ambition. But do you think he would benefit from spending a few years working the independent scene, you know, working in Japan, developing that style, and just building his name value, his you know his worldwide name value, up before uh, contemplating making that move. Um, possibly, yeah. I mean, it certainly didn't hurt AJ Styles. I mean, granted, AJ still had a name before he even ended up in New Japan, but his New Japan run with the IWGP champion, Heavyweight Championship um, really helped him build up a head of steam so that by the time he appeared at the Royal Rumble a couple of years ago, um, he really came across like a big deal. And, um, you know, the same could happen for, for Marty as well. But saying that, I mean, I'm not entirely convinced that he he's desperate to go to the WWE at this moment because he seems to be having so much fun working New Japan, working Ring of Honor, um, and also um, all the other independent promotions that he works for um, in the US and uh, the UK, PWG. He has a lot of fun there. So I think that with the freedom he has, with the promotions he gets to work for, and I'm sure he's, he's making pretty decent dough at the moment as well, uh, I don't think he's in an immediate hurry to go to the WWE, but um, I, I certainly know for a fact that there are people at the WWE who are big fans of his, and uh, I'm sure at the very least they, they've asked the question about whether he would be interested, but um, I think he's very, he's very keen to uh, carry on doing what he's doing. And maybe James knows more. Uh, you, 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 you know uh, Marty better than I do. So um, I think, I mean, what, I, think, I think his relationship with the elite as in Cody Rhodes and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks outside of the ring kind of symbolizes where he's going. I think there's a movement of wrestlers at the minute saying we don't need WWE necessarily to be big stars. We don't need the WWE to make money. The number one selling T-shirt at Hot Topic the week before Wrestle Kingdom was villain Bullet Club T-shirts. So, you know, he's there already. He is a massive superstar, just not in the way that most people consider a wrestling superstar to be. If he wants to go, like you said, Mo, I think the door's open for him, but it's whether he wants to. And the minute he calls his own shots, he wrestles the matches he wants to with the people he wants to wrestle. He gets to tell this great story, Will Ospreay, that they've taken around the world, just like the guys did in the old days, take a story and take it around the loop and then go to the next territory and do it all over again. They've done it in Ref Pro, they've done it in Progress, they've done it in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and each time the stage gets bigger. And they can do it again if they both go to WWE, but I've got a feeling you'll probably see it somewhere else first. And I think they're happy where they are at the moment. 
Yeah, that, I think that that's good to hear. Really, uh, it's it's good for the for the wrestling business as a whole as well. I think that you know it's not all just about one promotion. That there is so much out there, and it's so viable to be outside of that WWE bubble that you can make the money and you can you you can express yourself and you can work viably. And I think as we mentioned before, more you, you know you look at some of the talents in the WWE, perhaps getting frustrated that they can't really express themselves. You know that the storylines are so scripted, and you know they're almost shackled at times in the ring. That that there is so much more out there. That there, there actually, there's probably guys in the WWE thinking, I want to get on the independent scene. I want to go work New Japan. I want to be at Wrestle Kingdom, and it's that's got to be good for the business, really, hasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think so. I mean, like what Cody Rose has said recently, like his phrase at the minute is spend it today you'll make more tomorrow and that takes an awful lot of confidence to say something like that i don't necessarily agree with it but certainly if, if he feels that way then there's got to be some legs in working as a non-wwe wrestler oh totally and you know you look at some of the people that have um, left the wwe or perhaps even tried to leave the wwe uh, austin aries uh, being an example never or another um you know there is a lot of discontent within the WWE locker room. Um, even at the best of times, in fact, you know, there, ha- there has been, um, you know, large uh, section of, of the roster who, for one reason or other, have been unhappy about certain things. But in the current environment in the WWE, um, you know, that's especially the case because um, you're just so restricted in terms of, um, how you can express yourself in terms of character development, promos, in-ring work. Um, in almost every respect, um, you're constrained um, and curtailed in the way that um, you, know, you, you, you can work or the way you can present yourself. And it, it's, uh, it's a shame because you know, the WWE, within its roster overall across both the main roster and NXT, there's a lot of really, really good talent. And um, it's a, it, it always saddens me when I see Chris Hero, for example, who's Cassius Ono. Um, and you know this, James. He's, he was immensely talented. Sorry, he is immensely talented and delivered some un- unbelievable matches on the independent scene uh, before returning to NXT. And um, obviously, he's, he's done some good stuff whilst he's been there, but not a patch on what he was doing um, promotions like PWG and AAW and others um, you know he was just absolutely uh, on fire on the independent scene working so many good matches and you know he, he's just one of many who you know when they come into WWE um, they just aren't allowed almost to um, show exactly what they're capable of. Yeah I was talking about Killer Elite Squad earlier I mean Colt Cabana and uh, Chris Hero had a killer feud in Noah, like Gaijin tag team feud. It was like 1993 into in 2015, you know, and it's like, where's that guy gone? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that, that, that's what frustrates me because, and I talk about this and and you know, this Andy, I've talked about it so often where talents have come in from the independence or from Japan into the WWE and, um, I'll rave about them. And yet when you see them on, um, NXT or WWE, you see glimpses of, you know, some good stuff or really good stuff, but 
nowhere near the kind of um, they don't live up to the hype. Um, I, I put them over really, really strong, and yet when you see them on WWE TV, um, then they don't really come across as anything special. And you know, uh, I bet a lot of listeners think, well, what was he on about? What is what is he hyping for when they don't look anything special? But trust me, if you watch them outside of WWE with so many of these talents, they just absolutely are incredible to see. Um, and we were so lucky in this age that there's so many great talents across the world in Mexico, the US independence, Japan, Europe. Um, you know, in terms of in-ring, this is as good a time as there's ever been for pro wrestling. And, you know, and this is me saying it as somebody who's followed the business for a long, long, long time. Um, it's a real golden age for the in-ring products. Certainly is. Um, just before we get to to the double main event, then uh, Tanahashi, Jay White, Switchblade. Um, I, I think there's something in that the character of that Switchblade character for Jay White, but um, it, it just didn't come across to me in this match. His his work didn't really sort of speak out to me, and it didn't he didn't really seem to sort of have that sort of presence and charisma about him. Um, what about Tanahashi? I've heard, I've heard the name. Um, what was, what was really missing from this match then James? To be honest, I think this has been hard. This match has been harshly criticized by other critics. And I don't think it was fair because here is Jay White who gets this assignment a month ago. He's been on excursion in ring of honor in the UK for a year He's worked white meat babyface for his entire career. You're walking into the third from end match on the biggest show in New Japan's run in 15 years, and you're wrestling a living legend. And by the way, you have to go in after that junior heavyweight championship match, and you're 24. I didn't think he did too bad. <laughs> um, to me, I thought he did okay. I think there's room to maneuver, and I think the things he did at New Year's Dash the next day will fix a lot of the stuff, the problems that character has. And I think it's part of a longer-term story arc. But the fans cared about it, and he got over, and that was his job. Yeah, I, I was actually um, disappointed in the match. I, I didn't think it was a bad match. I thought it was actually a, a, a very good match. Um, but I felt this was a missed opportunity. But you make a very good point, James. Um, you know, Jay was only introduced to this gimmick. It was November, wasn't it, in the, at the November show? Yeah, real. Um, yeah, the November show before Real World Tag League final. Yeah, and um, you know, with, with this gimmick, I mean, I mean, he, he's somebody who lacks that kind of natural charisma, um, that kind of personality, and uh, I felt that you know it, it's a role that he needs to grow into, and it wasn't something that he was tailor made to um, kind of run with from day one. And I think that it's something that he'll need some time to um, develop and uh, make his own. And given that, I thought that putting him in a huge match with Tanahashi, who's one of the top 10 in-ring workers of all time, possibly top five, um, was a mistake by um, Gato. I thought that wasn't the right thing to do. And, um, you know, Jay was panned online. Um, and I, I was one of those, in fairness, um, who, who thought that it was a missed opportunity for him. 
but um, at the same time, you know, he's, as you say, very young and um, rushed into the gimmick and uh, it's not his fault. It wasn't his decision to um, be booked in this huge match with Tanahashi um, and uh, the work was there, but the, the personality side of things, the character side certainly needs some work and uh, hope that he's allowed to develop that and um, do some work on that with Kenny Omega um, in their upcoming feud. And um, maybe 12 months down the line, you know, we might see a very different Jay White in this kind of gimmick. And um, at that point in time, you know, he might uh, silence all the critics. Oh, that's fair enough then. Um, right. Kenny Omega, Chris Jericho. Now, the whatever it was that Kenny Omega was wearing and came out in, it didn't, it didn't really do it for me. But I've got to say, the match absolutely did. This was this was great. There's just no other way to put it. This was this was excellent. Really, really was a, a top quality match. Yeah, I mean, you've got to say like. A guy at Jericho's age at this stage in his career doesn't need to be doing stuff like this. He could quite happily do the nostalgia run in WWE again if he wanted to. He's clearly creative. He clearly wants to do something different with the end of his career because this is probably his last run or his second to last run. So he's gone and done it, and he's done something very old school. It's very territory-style wrestling, and he took advantages of all the things that he could take advantage of. And... Omega was the perfect dance partner who can bump all night long, make you look amazing, and get yourself get himself over at the same time. And that's really, really what happened with this match. And yes, it was fantastic. And I'll be honest, I've not been the hugest just Jericho fan down the years, but I cared about him in this match. I wanted to see what happened. Uh, more. <laughs> yeah. Was, yeah. Was this? Was, I was just going to say more. Was this? Was this, you know, a great advert for exactly why you speak of Kenny Omega as one of, if not, you know, the the best worker in the world? I thought I thought he certainly um, showed people why he's rated so highly by so many, um, because I thought this may have just been Chris Jericho's best ever match. I was really struggling to think of any match that I've seen from Jericho that was better than this one. Um, and I was thinking back to his run in Japan in the mid-90s for war. And uh, he had a match in, I think it was with Otani or uh, Yoshiro Sai, um, Super J match. And uh, I thought that was an amazing match at the time. I didn't give that five stars. He's working, Smokey Main, ECW, nothing there. Came close to five stars. He's running WCW. Lots of very good matches, but again, very few that were even over four stars for me. Um, had some classic matches, obviously, during his various runs with the WWE over the last nearly two decades. But I really couldn't think of a single match that touches this one. And he had some amazing matches in the WWE. This was just a, a tour de force. It was... It was really um, something that solidified for me Chris Jericho is an all-time great. And you know, I was somebody who's actually, actually sceptical. I mean, I, I'm somebody who votes um, for the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. And when Jericho was voted in um, about, I think it was about 10 years ago, 
I actually thought it was a joke that he was voted in. I thought it was outrageous almost that he mm. made it in. Um, but looking at some of the work he's done um, over what's, you know, a 25-plus year career, the way he's been able to reinvent himself, um, looking at it beyond just in ring, but also character-wise and, um, you know, longevity that, and things like that. that that's something... Just on that moment, I mean, that's something I, I heard, I thought was a really good quote. It's actually he's, Chris Jericho's like the David Bowie of wrestling. The way he's he's reinvented his character so many times in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, I, I struggle to think of anyone who has been reinvented themselves that much or, or over that period of time because, you know, so many of the big hitters over the years, you think of them and it's very defined what their character was. You know, and his has changed, but not chopped and changed in, you know, with with crappy gimmicks that some people have suffered from. This is a guy who's just creatively evolved and moved and changed and morphed himself. It's 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 pretty damn impressive, really, isn't it? It is. It is. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the way that he's once again reinvented himself into one of the great characters in the business, just. In, in such a short space of time, um, a complete departure from what we saw from him just a year ago. Um, in fact, just about six months ago in the WWE. Um, and, and that was a very, very good gimmick as well. Um, and yet what we've seen in New Japan is just um, absolutely absorbing, very, very um, intriguing character. And the great thing is it's not a one and done. We're going to see more of Jericho in New Japan. Maybe not as a, certainly not as a full timer, but certainly part time. Not sure how long that run will last, but um, yeah. I mean, getting back to my earlier point, for me, this performance solidified him as an all-time great. And as I say, I was not convinced ten years ago that he was anything of the sort. But um, the fact he's still around and at forty-seven years of age was able to pull out a performance like this. And just to put it into context, if you think back to somebody like a Ric Flair at age 47, he wasn't doing ma- he wasn't working matches like this. And he's one of the all-time great workers. Um, and so Jer- Jericho really, in some way, stole the show with um, what he did here. Very physical match. Um, but uh, the, the transition, the spot of the night was... Um, going from the one ring angel into the walls, Jer- Jericho, I think it was. Mm. Um, that was just absolutely amazing. Uh, and for those that are not familiar with um, the one ring angel, that's uh, been um, Omega's kind of go to finisher signature move. And, uh, you know, the fact that they worked that and also um, that uh, false finish as well, where he um, grabbed the rope before the three count. Again, just mag, mag, utterly magnificent. Um, can't say speak highly enough of this match. So if you haven't seen it, listeners, do yourself a favour and go and check it out, will you? Yeah. Uh, one final point on, on Jericho then. Uh, James, you alluded to it uh, at, the, at the start of the show. You feel that he's really just enjoying himself here in New Japan, it, being able to you know, find a different side of his character and express himself in a way that he wouldn't be able to in the, the current formula that they have in WWE. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this is as creative as it's been since the attitude era, you know, WWE is much more 
restrained because, and he's understandably restrained. You're on network television. There's certain things you can and can't do. There are certain things you can and can't offend people. You can and can't offend, and quite rightly so. It's you know, wrestling should appeal to the widest possible audience. It just so happens New Japan's audience is pretty wide, but they allow these things to happen, which means that things can be done differently. And I think that's what Chris enjoys more than anything else. Plus, you know, he's working with his friends. He's Don Callis, uh, uh, Gato, who is former tag team partner of Chris Jericho's. So, you know, he's working in a place. He gets on with the creative crew. The creative crew give him the freedom to do what he wants to do within reason. And everybody makes money. It's, it sounds pretty sensible to me, that like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so come on then, James, talk to me about the, the main event then. The, the last the last match on the card, Okada, Naito. Um, was, was this everything that you'd hoped it would be? It was everything I hoped it would be in the sense that it was a classic wrestling match and it left me wanting more. I want to see them go again. And... It tells an incredible story of Tetsuya Naito, the guy who's not quite ready yet. And this is a story that's been going on since around about 2013 when he got kicked out of chaos in the first place. And then he went on to become the Stardust Genius and he couldn't get the job done and the fans turned on him. And it's all these layers of this story that's gone into Tetsuya Naito is a fascinating character. And then there's Kazuchi Kurokada, the coolest guy in the company, the company man. And the guy I think is the best male wrestler I've seen in 30 years. And it had to be really, really good. It could not fail. This had to deliver. This is the main event, the biggest show they've done. And it has to be as good as it gets. And I think they delivered. I don't think it was as good as last year's main event. That's also part of the story as well. So for me, this was exactly what I wanted to see and leaves me something more to look forward to when NATO gets his acting gear. Yeah, this was for me the match of the night. Um, it was a slow burner. It started off slow. Um, I think it needed to after the previous match. Um, they couldn't go hell for leather from the get-go. Um, so they needed to bring the crowd down. And unlike a WWE show where you get a throwaway match to sandwich, um, you know, big, big matches, um, you don't get that on New Japan shows. So they need to bring the crowd down to build them back up. And uh, you know, so for those fans who are kind of having a go at this match for the fact that it had a bit of a slower start and um, you know, it took a bit longer to kind of get going. It, 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 it had to work in that way because of the previous match. Um, th- this was another amazing match. Um, I mean, the last few minutes in particular were um, just breathtaking, simply breathtaking. Um, and uh, Okada is really starting to make a case now for um he he's well on the way to becoming the best in-ring worker of all time and this is coming from somebody who um grew up on kenta kabashi and i consider kabashi to be the best in-ring worker ever but that title is under serious threat from okada um okada's title run the IWGP Championship run that he's had now um, is probably eclipsing the GHC title run that Kabashi had in 2003 to 2005. And I never thought I'd say that. That, that for me, was in so many ways a perfect title run. 
Um, for something to eclipse that, it, it just something is that for me is, is mind-boggling. And uh, Okada just gets better and better. I mean, some of his matches last year, especially the stuff he did with Kenny Omega, was um, probably the best pro wrestling of all time. And um, you know, this match didn't quite touch those lofty heights but it wasn't actually far off for me um and uh you know these two together um were just magic and i actually wanted naito to win the title i'll be honest um i think this was their eighth title uh, sorry singles match and um i thought okada's won the previous seven now is the perfect time for naito to win number eight um, especially coming off a fantastic win um, in the final of the G1 back in August. He has some real momentum, very charismatic, um, clearly a big crowd favourite, got a great reaction coming out for this match. Um, but it wasn't to be. Um, Card retains the title. Um, but um, that that final stretch was um, as good as you'll ever, ever see. And... Uh, just a thoroughly enjoyable match um, to cap off one of not only the shows of the year, but one of the all-time great shows, in my view. Um, had so many great matches. Um, some of the booking was superb. Red Hole crowd. You really don't get pro wrestling better than this. It, it was just um, delightful. So, so James, as a, a long-time <laughs> What fan uh, enjoyer of New Japan and, and Japanese wrestling? Would you say that this show lived up to to the hype and the expectation that that it received beforehand? Do you do you think this really delivered? Yeah, I did, and part of the part goes back to what Mo was saying a couple of minutes ago. For me, the perfect rest, pro wrestling period was all Japan women in the early nineteen nineties, and from around about 1991 to around about 1995, and where they were continually topping each other. But the trouble is with that, it racks up injuries. And once you've done it, it's hard to do it again. And you've got to get your matchups. And there's a finite time period you can do that for. And it was about five years where it was the perfect wrestling company. And New Japan got to that point last year, and they figured out how to take the gas off the pedal, produce entertaining wrestling matches that actually appeal to a wider audience and then they can go back up to that level again when they need to without losing their core audience that they already have. I think it's been an incredibly sensible way of booking it. I think it's brought everything down to be a lot safer because there were a lot of casualties on the roster last year. And I think it's 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 safe, it's made money, it's widened its appeal. They're doing all the right things. Do you, do you feel yeah. that the company's heading in the right direction then? Definitely. I think this is... This is still the best book wrestling company on the planet. They've got all the talent within the roster that they can possibly want. And there are some free agents who would probably be interested in coming in as well. So I think New Japan's got a very, very rosy 2018 uh, ahead of them. And yeah, like I said, this this show, like Mo said, this show does fit in with like some of the best wrestling you'll ever see on one show as a single entity. I think it's a better wrestling show than Wrestle Kingdom 11 was, even though there was better wrestling on Wrestle Kingdom 11. Oh, yeah, agree, totally. Um, consistent, in terms of consistency from match to match, um, this is definitely the better show. 
And um, you know, in terms of that analogy, the comparison with all Japan women, absolutely spot on. Um, all Japan women was just um, uh, in- incredible in the way that it was booked by the Matsunaga brothers. And um, they had so many different types of diverse characters that, you know, fed off of each other and uh, had that amazing chemistry with um, Akira Kuto, Nami Tio, who retired recently, um, Arji Kong, um, Kyoko Inoue, various others. Um, you know, it, it really amazes me again that we are now seeing a promotion that um, can hit the heights and exceed those heights from um you know a promotion like that and also um all japan um different in the way it was presented and booked um but again had a very very strong run um early 90s through till about 97 i'd say 96 97 um and new japan had its moments in that period as well um but that was a, a really special period globally for pro wrestling and um i never thought i'd see pro wrestling as good as that um but the last three four years in japan new japan in particular um has been every bit as good if not better and um so that's why fans out there if you watch wwe and you are disillusioned if you just fancy something a bit different um certainly make the effort to try and track down some new japan very easy to access believe me for, for a long time fan like myself who had to um, track down six generation vhs tapes that were four or five months old um tracking down new japan these days is an absolute doddle uh, new japan pro wrestling njpw world um, is your monthly um you know one-stop shop for all new japan pro wrestling content so that's that's my cheap plug for new japan out of the way um and uh you know trust me it, it really is worth worth the money Cheap plug. Oh, nice, nice segue actually. Yeah, uh, because we've we've got to get to uh, get ourselves sorted, get our courts on here, and uh, start to head off. But before we go, James, uh, obviously a big thanks for you to for coming on and and joining us and taking us through all this. But before we do go, uh, do you want to let the listeners know where they can catch you on social media, um, what you're involved in, anything you you think they should be uh, listening to or reading in. Um, I host the Troopany show, which is on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can find it there, uh, where we look at pro wrestling. We've just done our own uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12 review. We have a beginner's guide to Japanese wrestling, which we'll be back to next week. Uh, we've got about 30 episodes looking at Japanese wrestling down the years. Um, we're putting playlists on YouTube so you can find those matches uh, as well. Um, you can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter too. Um, and as far as other projects I'm involved in at the minute, I am working on a biography of one Jazzy Gabbard alpha female who you may remember from the May Young Classic last year. Um, so I'm working on that. I'm involved with that. And at the minute, she's not particularly very well. She's going in for some neck surgery on Monday. And there is a GoFundMe account called Alpha Female Surgery Support where you can go support her recovery. Yeah, I was going to say, if you... If you... If you've got that on your Twitter feed, we will retweet that if anybody out there is uh, is interested. And yeah. and thanks thanks for coming on. It's um it's been an education for me. That I, I'd say, certainly say that much. Um, <laughs> I, I think for for you more, it was a nice indulgence, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, you know, 
Japanese wrestling, as James knows, is something that um, I've been a big fan of for many, many, many years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to um, be able to kind of uh, talk about um, something different. Obviously, we talk about WWE a lot on this show. Um, so a bit of a departure, but a very fun departure, talking about um, what will end up being probably the second biggest wrestling show of 2017 in uh, Wrestle Kingdom 12. And uh, as I said earlier, um, for those listeners that might be curious, if you can track the show down, certainly urge you to do so because uh, it's as good a show as you'll see. And there you have it, folks. Uh, that, that's just about it for this week here on the Pro Wrestling Index. Of course, at PW underscore index is our uh, Twitter handle if you want to get in touch with us there. Like you said, we'll retweet them bits out from uh, from James. So we're going to be back next week. Um, we've got, what have we got? A bit of nostalgia next week, I think. Um, we've got the 25th anniversary edition of, of Raw the longest running television show in the history of all television. Um, apparently according to WWE. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It started in 1993. So, but obviously TV was invented that day that raw went out. Um, I'm not quite sure where they get their stats from, but anyway, we'll do, we'll be doing a bit of nostalgia with raw and, uh, the rumble and probably having a bit of a look ahead to the, uh, the NXT, a takeover event as well so that's all to come next week uh, but for this week uh, of course our big thanks to James Troopenny for coming on the show a great guest uh, my thanks as always to Mo Chatra my uh, on-air tag team partner uh, and our thanks to all of you you lovely listeners each and every one of you we love you thanks for listening and thanks for hitting that download button but until next week here uh, on the Pro Wrestling Index from me Andy Wales it's bye bye now powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.